Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Well, thank you to our worship team this morning. Hey, if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Now, starting a new sermon series today called The Difference. Let your light shine. I'm going to preach through the chapter, Matthew chapter 5, which is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Why, why am I calling it The Difference? Because there ought to be a difference between a Christian and a non-Christian, between the world and the church, between your family and an unsaved family. So, so get this with me. Look this way uh, after you find your place. So here it is. Here, here's where here's where an unbeliever is, and here's where a Christ follower is. Right? Uh, th- there is a difference between this lifestyle and this lifestyle, and that gap. That gap. The difference is what shines a light on the gospel. The difference between your life and their life is a flashlight, a beaming spotlight on the gospel of Jesus. So one reason Jesus told Christ followers, disciples, to live differently is because between an unbeliever and a believer's life, that, that man, that, that how we conduct ourselves day in and day out, how we conduct ourselves at work, how we conduct ourselves, uh, in our families, how we conduct ourselves in our, in our, uh, vision, our plan, our purpose for life, that, that difference, what, what it does is it, it shines a light on Jesus, or it's what it's supposed to do. So, so in Matthew chapter five, throughout that whole chapter, Jesus is telling the disciples, that, that here is the way you widen that gap and separate yourself from the lost and dying world. So he starts off uh, in Matthew chapter 5 talking about attitude. And so I want to preach today on the B attitude. What kind of attitude should a child of God have? Matthew chapter 5, we'll turn there in just a moment. We'll, we'll stand and read in just a moment. Let me ask you a question this morning. How happy are you? Right? How happy are you? If I, if I were to ask you to rate on a scale of 1 to 10 your happiness level, how happy are you? Because when you ask America in general, right now America is a very unhappy place. Uh, share of Amer- Americans saying they're very happy or not too happy. Look, this graph is f- from 1971. And I want you to notice something on this graph that um, the, the teal line is our very happy and, and, the, and the red line is not too happy. Look at what happened in the last two years. In the last two years, our very happy has dropped below 20% in America. The lowest it's been since they've been doing the survey. And then the not too happy has climbed to nearly 30%. The highest has been, first time ever, it's been over 20%. So if you ask a general American... <clears throat> how happy are you? The truth and the fact is, right now in general, we're not very happy. You look at it different ways. What brings people the greatest happiness? Right, uh, 55% said my health and physical well-being, my relationship with my par- partner, we call spouse, our children, feeling that my life has meaning, my living conditions. Those are the top five out of 29. What are the bottom five that cause happiness? Lowest one, 
time spent on social media. We do more of this than we do any of this, yet it brings us the least amount of happiness. Moving to another country. Hello. This, not, just shot by this one. My country's new political leadership. Not bringing much happiness for some reason in America. Y'all asked for it, you got it, you know. And so, um, material possessions doesn't bring much happiness. Access to sports and entertainment. Doesn't, doesn't bring much happiness. Unless you're a Braves or a Dogs fan, then it brings great happiness. And year over year, many of the items measured show a significant increase in the percentage of people globally who derive at least some happiness from these things. So here what we saw an uptick in this year. Uh, an uptick in what brings you happiness? Being forgiven for something I did. Forgiving someone for something they did. My personal safety and security, my health and physical well-being, finding someone to be with, all of that uh, kind of put us over the charts on our happiness. And so here's what we know. We're not very happy people. We're not deriving happiness from the things that we think are going to be bring us happiness. And in truth, we're not living in very happy times. If you look at America and the world in general, we're just not living in very happy times. So it begs the question this morning, should the Christian be different? Should the Christian be happy while the rest of the world is unhappy? Should the Christian be joyful while the rest of the world is unhappy? Should the Christian have an attitude of joy, an infectious attitude of joy? And the answer is yes, yes, yes. The joy and happiness we have in our hearts and our lives ought to be the difference the world sees in us. There's the gap. The world is not happy, but we should be. The world is not joyful, but we should be. And that joyful gap is what shines a light on the gospel. We are separated from them. And a spotlight shines on us in the gospel by the attitude of joy in our lives. And you say, well, preacher, why should I be joyful? A byproduct of a relationship with Jesus is joy. Remember when you were saved, the moment of your salvation... The moment you put your faith and trust in Christ, remember this, the moment you're saved, God placed the Holy Spirit inside your heart and life to help you operate on a daily basis. And here's what the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. That yes, we ought to have a joy in our lives. Yes, we ought to have a happiness in our lives. Because a byproduct of knowing Jesus as our Savior is that happiness and joy that ought to be inherent in a child of God. Now, let me tell you what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean life is always going to be good. Despite what some of the preachers on television may claim, just because you follow Jesus doesn't mean life is always going to be good. It doesn't mean that we can't get discouraged. I'm not saying you're never going to get down, but I'm just saying that it it doesn't mean that we're never going to get discouraged. It does mean, however, that our trajectory should be upward, right? Our happiness meter should be trending upward. Our joy meter should be trending upward. And it does mean that we should handle difficulty differently than a person far from God, unchurched, unsafe, handles difficulty. 
Because a byproduct of our life is joy. And in general, our life should be a life of joy and happiness. Joy is our difference. Hear me, joy is our witness. Joy is our thanksgiving to God. Jesus, when discipling people, started it off right up front with joy and happiness as a different maker. And here's what he said. We're, we're about to look at what we call the Beatitudes, but look at the word Jesus used over and over. It's the word blessed. Blessed. Makarios in the Greek, but let, let, me, let, me, let me give you some definition of, of this word. I, I want to hang here for just a minute. and Let me, let me read just a little bit. Blessed. Possessing the favor of God, that state of being marked by the fullness of God. The believers indwelt by the Holy Spirit because of Christ and as a result should be fully satisfied, hear me, fully satisfied, fully satisfied no matter the circumstances. To be blessed is equivalent to having God's kingdom within your heart. There is no English word, there is no one word in English that adequately describes the Greek word. Here, here's what it means, get this, let me sum it up. Blessed means happy in every possible way. Happy in every possible way. Now let, let, me, let, me, take it out of the, let me take it out of the spiritual world for a minute. And let me tell you how the secular world used this word, makarios in the Greek, blessed, in the Roman world, in the Greek world. When I say gods, I mean little g. You know, they had the Romans, the Greeks had the pantheon of gods that were, that were not gods, they were idols. And, and you know them, Zeus and, and, and the like. You know all those. I'm not going to run down a list of them, but you know who they are. You've heard them. So when I use the word God here in this sentence, know that's what I'm talking about. God with a little g. But here's how it was used in a secular sense. The word makarios, blessed, designates the supra-earthly condition of the gods and of people who rejoice in extraordinarily good fortune. So the word blessed was a word that the Romans and Greeks used of the gods that said they were above the fray of earthly existence. They were above the fray of normal human existence. They lived above that, and so they stayed blessed. They stayed happy because they lived above it. But now there's another secular word, and I want to put it on the screen. It was used in this way. In the time of Aristophanes, the word describes, among others, the rich who are elevated above the normal cares, cares of the world because of their wealth. The rich who are elevated above normal cares because of their wealth. When I read that definition, that, 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 that secular definition of the word blessed, all of a sudden it made a little more sense to me. It meant that you are so happy, joyful because of your resources. Now, I'm talking about an earthly sense. When you were incredibly wealthy, you were so happy because of your resources that you did not have a care in the world. That if something bad happens, if something bad happens, if you need a new set of tires on your chariot, right? The rich don't care. They have plenty of money. If you need to pay a doctor bill, they don't care. I got plenty of money. If something goes wrong at your house, you don't care. You got plenty of money. That you were elevated above normal cares of the world because you had 
plenty of money. That's how the word was used in a secular sense. If something bad happens, you have the money to fix it. Now, hold on. That should exactly be the attitude of the child of God. Not because we have the money to fix it, but because we have the heavenly resources to deal with whatever care comes our way. I've got eternal salvation. I've got the Holy Spirit. I have the Word of God. I have answered prayer. That's the foundation of where we are starting in Matthew 5. That our attitude can be different because we have the resources to deal with whatever comes our way. We have the resources to deal with the everyday cares of this life. We have the resources to deal with whatever discouragement and disappointment and hurt and tragedy comes our way. We have the heavenly resources to rise above it so therefore we are blessed happy in every way possible it's what Matthew 5 says is the difference so would you stand with me as we honor God's word by reading it Matthew chapter 5 and if you're watching online it'll be on the screen Matthew chapter 5 when he saw the crowds Jesus went up on the mountain and after he sat down his disciples came to him and then he began to teach them saying blessed are the poor in spirit for their the kingdom of heaven is theirs blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted blessed are the humble for they will inherit the earth blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice, because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Thank you. You may be seated. I've already spent too much time on my introduction, so y'all are going to have to listen quickly as I go through the rest of this sermon. Right now, Jesus is at the height of his popularity. When we get to Matthew chapter 5, large crowds follow him everywhere. It's the first time the word disciple is used in the New Testament. And we see the form it takes. The, a disciple is, is people who are hearing and heeding the word of Jesus. A disciple is someone who is hearing and heeding the word of Jesus. What does he tell us makes the difference? What should the attitude of the Christian be? What should our, our inclination be? What should a disciple be? Well, a disciple ought to be happy. A disciple ought to be blessed, happy in every possible way. Well, what did Jesus tell us about our attitude of being blessed? Here's what he said, four things. Number one is this, that happiness is more inclination than situation. Happiness is more inclination than situation. The one thing you'll notice from this text is that nowhere does Jesus address our circumstances or situation in the context of happiness. Our attitude, our joy, our happiness, hear me, should not be determined by our circumstances. That's immediately the difference between us and a lost and dying world. A lost world's happiness, joy, and blessedness is always determined by their circumstances. But for us, our joy should not be determined by our circumstances. Get this. It should be our state of mind and spirit despite our circumstances. And if our attitudes follows our circumstances, that makes us no different than the rest of the world. 
Right? If our attitude follows our circumstances, that's what they do. If our attitude follows whether things are going well at the job or not going well at the job, that's what they do. If our attitude follows, uh, our happiness follows whether our health is good or our health is not good, that's what they do. If our happiness follows whether uh, 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 the economy is good or not good, that's what they do. There's no difference between us and them when our attitude follows our circumstances. But Jesus is trying to tell us that happiness needs to be the supernatural inclination of the child of God. As we walk with Jesus, we know him better. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, our attitude stands out. Listen, Christian, we've already been given so much by God, promised so much by heaven. Our attitude should be unaffected by our circumstances in life. Our attitude should be unaffected by our circumstances in life. This past Christmas, thousands of people received a surprise gift on Christmas Day when a European bank called Santander accidentally deposited $176 million across 75,000 people's account. $176 million across 75,000 people. Uh, it was a mistake, to say mildly. Some employees saw their wages double. Suppliers also got more than they were expecting. Here, here, here was what happened. It was an average of $2,300 per transaction. Now, hang with me for a second. Imagine that you're living week to week, paycheck to paycheck, day by day. You have no extra money. You have nothing in savings. You have nothing to depend upon. And on Christmas Day, $2,300 shows up in your account. Can you imagine the joy you would have when you stop on the way to your grandparents' house to see if you had enough money in the bank to put gas in your car, and you look in there and there's $2,300 in your checking account, can you imagine the joy you would have? Now imagine for a moment you're a multimillionaire, and $2,300 shows up in your account. Would you even notice it? Let me ask you a question. So, so the bank, with that $176 million, they just can't, they just can't give it. they got to get it back. And so, but they had to go to court to get it back. I don't even know if they've gotten it all back yet. So imagine now, on Christmas Day, you've gotten uh, $2,300 in your account. You're living paycheck to paycheck. You mean, you're just so excited. Well, what's going to happen the next day when they take it out? Now, now can you imagine how defeated, deflated, and depressed you're going to be? But let me ask you the question. That multimillionaire, does he even care? No, why? Because he has more riches than that. It, it didn't even affect his body. It wasn't even a percentage in his bank account. When it, you say, why, why does that matter? Because listen, so many people in the world are living Paycheck to paycheck spiritually, they don't know Jesus as Savior. And, and look, so when something good happens, man, they're high. And when something bad happens, man, they're low. That's not us. That's not us. Our, we're like the multimillionaire. Our riches are eternal. And I can prove it to you. The Bible says this. Uh, Paul said this in Ephesians 1. I pray that the eyes of uh, your heart may be enlightened. 
Paul said, I need you to understand this. I need you to be enlightened. Why? So that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What is the wealth, wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Paul said, you're going to live differently if you understand this one principle that we as children of God have an inheritance waiting for us. We have a wealth of eternity as a child of God and our circumstances should not affect that wealth of eternity. We have the wealth, a glorious inheritance waiting on us. The circumstances of the world don't affect that at all. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, just the next chapter over, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust corrupt nor thieves break through and steal. Jesus said your treasure should be placed up here with your inheritance. Your treasures ought to be in heaven. Why? So that the circumstances of this world don't control our joy and don't control our happiness. I want to ask you to raise a hand this morning, but are you guilty of letting good news get you up and bad news get you down? I'm, I'm not saying we ought to be robots or Dr. Spock off Star Trek. I, I'm not saying we ought to be unemotionally. Obviously, we're going to be excited when good things happen. We're going to be discouraged when bad things happen. But what we ought to do is not go up and down on the ebb and flow that a lost world goes up and down on. And when we're going through difficult times and difficult situations and the world looks at you and says, how in the world are you holding it together? How in the world can you have a smile on your face? It gives us an opportunity to say, because my joy is not determined by my circumstances. My joy is set up in heaven waiting on me in eternity. That's how. When your circumstances turn sour, can you show a lost and dying world that there is a difference in Jesus? The inclination, the supernatural inclination of a child of God ought to be joy. Not determined by our situation. Well, I, I got to preach faster. This may have been a two-part sermon. Let me, let me move faster. Number, number two, here's what he tells us about our attitude. Look up before you get down. Look up before you get down. When you dive into those Beatitudes that we read, they deal with your relationship with heaven. They have everything to do with an ongoing relationship with God. So let me, let me put them up here very quickly so you can look. Now, number one, there's this be poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Mourn, and you'll be comforted. Humble, you'll inherit the earth. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, and you'll be filled. All of those have to do with our attitude to heaven. Poor in spirit is to recognize your bankruptcy before Christ and acknowledge your need for Jesus. Mourn is, get this, mourn is the strongest Greek word for mourning that exists. It meant to mourn over your sins and unrighteousness that exist in your life. Humble is translated meek in other translations. It means to live humbly and gentle before the Lord, not full of anxiety or pride. Hunger and thirst for righteousness pictures intense longings that you cannot live without. Those who long for a vibrant relationship with God will be filled and are blessed and are happy and joyful. Those with a great, with a right relationship and attitude towards heaven are incredibly blessed. You get salvation, uh, you get comforted, and you inherit goodness by being satisfied by God. All of that coming from a right attitude towards heaven. So hear me, the first four Beatitudes tell us this, that happiness starts with being right with God. For the child of God, or for anybody, if you're here today you don't know Jesus is Savior, hear me. Happiness starts by being right with God. 
Here's the deal. Once you start your journey to happiness, where does it begin? In a right relationship with God. If you get that down, the other happiness pieces of the puzzle start to fall in place. If you're wrong with God, you're not going to have happiness. You're right with God, it's the first step in the, in the puzzle of joy and happiness. How many of you played this game? How many of you played Wordle? Anybody played Wordle in the room? Oh, not many. Wow, I thought more people played Wordle. My, my family, a few weeks ago, we started playing Wordle every single day. It's a word game. And you have six guesses to guess a five-letter word. And, and if, it, if yellow shows up, it means that letter is in the word, uh, but you're, you have it in the wrong place. If it's green, it means that letter is in the word and you have it in the right place. If it's gray, it means it's not in the word at all. And you have six guesses. And some days it's easy, some days it's not. In November, there were 90 players who played the game. Some computer programmer invented the game for a friend, and it started out just he and the programmer playing it, and then 90 people extended out in November. This past November, 90 people were playing it. On January 2nd, there were 300,000 players, and as of today, it has millions of players, so much so that the New York Times just bought it from the guy who made it as a hobby. He just bought it from the guy for, seven, uh, for low seven figures. In other words, a few million dollars for a game he made in November. And, and here's the game. You can read about strategy in the game, and, and I've, I've done it. I've read strategy in the game. Here's what the best strategy says. Once you get your vowels correct, everything else quickly falls in place. Once you get your vowels correct the word becomes much more obvious and falls into place. So the first word I spell always is orate, O-R-A-T-E, because it has three vowels in it, three of the most common vowels. And so I kind of go from there, O-R-A-T-E, and then I usually get, normally get at least one vowel most of the time. And, and if that doesn't work, I spell fluid next, which uses the other two vowels. And by then, second guess, I've got all of my vows. I've lost one time in the three weeks. I've not been able to do it because most of the time you can get it. But here's the deal. All the strategy says this, get the vows first and everything else falls into place. Get the vows first and everything else falls into place. Hear me, that's what these first beatitudes are. They're the vows of an attitude of happiness. Once you get your attitude down towards God, everything else falls into place. Mess this up, you'll mess everything. If you're a person that thinks you can get by fine without God, sin with no remorse, full of pride, don't care about pursuing God at all, you will absolutely have no joy in your life, no happiness in your life, no blessing in life. And by the way, that's the way most people live. And that's why we don't stand out. That's why there is no difference because we are not in a right relationship with God ourselves. We are not hungering and thirsting after righteousness ourselves. You, you want happiness in your life, joy in your life. Don't start at a doctor's office. Start at the altar with an attitude that's getting right with God. I'm going to skip some parts. Number two, let me show, number three, let me show you this. The next set of attitudes say reach out instead of tuning out. 
The next set of attitudes are for people around you, and, and here, here, here they are. He said, be merciful, and you'll show mercy. Pure in heart, and you'll see God. Peacemakers will be called the sons of God. Persecuted because of righteousness, you'll see the kingdom of heaven. All of these relate to those around you. The word merciful uh, implies generosity, forgiveness, and compassion. It includes a desire to, mo- to remove the wrong as well as to alleviate the suffering of others. If you understand the mercy you've been shown by God, you have no problem extending mercy to others. Pure in heart means clean in heart and motive, a righteous heart towards others. Peacemakers are those who bring peace to the world. Peace between God and man, that's called called evangelism. And peace between man and man, get this, the word means you don't sacrifice righteousness for the sake of peace, but you pursue peace and righteousness at the same time. And finally, he closed out by saying we'd be persecuted. Not just treated poorly, but treated poorly because you were doing right. Hear me, you're not being persecuted for the gospel when you do wrong. You're being persecuted for the gospel when you do right and suffer for it. And then he said, you see it, your reward for that kind of attitude is great. What is my reward? I'll be shown mercy for man and God. I'll actually have a clearer picture of God when my motives are right. People will call me the son of God. This is so important. They'll recognize you as a Christ follower when you're a peacemaker. And when you're persecuted in this life, the kingdom of heaven is yours. That is the difference. Joy and happiness come to those who pour into the relationships around them so here's the principle jesus is trying to get off uh, get over in the first in these first two points i'm going to i'm going to sum up these first two points um with one acronym you've seen it before you've taught it to your children j-o-i can anybody tell me what what this stands for jesus first others and yourself that's the point of the first beatitudes Jesus first, others, and yourself. The key to joy is a right relationship with Jesus, an investing relationship in others, and then yourself. In order to do that, you may have to tune yourself out a little. Listen, your noise has a way of drowning out the noise of a lost, dying world that needs your help. But every person in your life, God has placed there for you to impact. I, I saw the story. I saw the story. Um, this actual building. Th- this building right here is, is the one I'm, I'm talking about, if you can see it a little bit. Uh, a man from Japan fell off the fifth floor of this building uh, a few months ago. Fifth floor. And, and he survived. He landed on like a canopy. You know, you seem like Jackie Chan do that, you know. He, he landed like on a campi- canopy. And he's right. Now, he's he's pretty hurt but he he did survive he he actually police said he hit some wires on the way down and it it saved his life well a woman on the third floor was looking out over her balcony trying to see what was going on and as she was looking out over the third floor she fell off the balcony he was directly under and she was leaning over but there was a guy on the second floor who was leaning over his balcony 
and he was directly underneath her. And on the way down, she took him down with her. There was a guy on the sidewalk who was standing there watching the proceedings. And on the way down, they landed on him. All four people survived. I don't even know what to say about that other than this. Sometimes you have to be the person that breaks somebody else's fall. That's the second thing he's trying to tell us. You'll find more joy in helping others than you will in helping yourself. And how often do we tune out the needs around you? That's what everybody else does. Everybody else says, I don't have time for you. I don't have time to. I don't have time to fool with you. I don't have time to carry your burdens. I don't have time to help you in your problem. The rest of the world doesn't even have a God to pray to, to help them, to encourage them. Do you want to separate you from others and bring joy into your life? Get this joy into your life. Is when you reach out to help others instead of tuning them out. And that leads me to the last point. I'm, I'm finished. Jesus concluded by saying this, you will always have haters. Well, that's not good news, is it? It's the truth. Did you know the more you stand out, the less some people will like it? When you help others, the devil will send his people around to try and make your life miserable, to try to take away your joy, to try to take away your happiness. And Jesus said, when the haters hate, be happy and rejoice. Ah, oh, come on, Jesus. No, no. When the haters hate, be happy and rejoice. Why? Well, number one, you're in good company. Right? They did that to the prophets before you who've now seen the reward in heaven. By the way, they're going to do it to me. So you're in good company. So get this. Jesus said when the haters hate, follow me. Don't let it affect your joy. Don't let it affect your attitude. Don't let it affect your happiness. When you let the haters hate and they deride you for your Christ following, they deride you for how you serve Jesus. Listen, they deride you for your joy and happiness in your life. Get this, get this, get this. Respond with joy, kindness, happiness, and mercy. And they'll have nothing bad to say about you. Close your Bible. Stand with me. I'm finished. The Wall Street Journal just told us a few days ago that we are cursing a lot more than normal. None of us, but they are, right? None of us. They said the pandemic stress, the melding of personal and professional spheres, and the exhausted slide toward casualness are making many of us swear more. Michael Adams of Indiana University said it's the perfect storm of swearing. Mentions of certain words, and I won't call the words, rose 41% from 2019 through 2021 on Facebook and 27% on Twitter. The mentions of profane words 
rose 41% on Facebook and 27% on Twitter. A Denver-based company called Inversoft has a product called CleanSpeak, which when you are, a lot of companies use it, when you're in online meetings, CleanSpeak filters out profanity. Here's what they said. The volume of filtered words has tripled, tripled in 18 months. Tripled. Chief executive there said people are becoming more aggressive in their use of profane and sexually explicit terms. Now hear me. Hear me. That's the world's norm. I tell you that to tell you that's the world's norm. Aggressive, profane, vulgar world they live in at home at work. Hear me. An aggressive, profane, vulgar world they live in at home and work. It's not hard for us to let our attitude be the difference. You want to shine a spotlight on the gospel? Don't be this. You do what the Bible says and let your speech always be seasoned with grace. Encouraging one another. Let no profane communication proceed out of your mouth, but rather that which is good to edification. Because their world is filled with vulgar, profane, destructive, Listen, I, I'm not even saying this morning, the Beatitudes tell us this, you, you don't even have to be a super Christian to stand out in this world. You just have to be a Christ follower. Doing everything you can to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And don't let your situation determine your happiness because you have an inheritance in heaven reserved for you. Get your relationship right with God and look up before you get down. That's where you go. Instead of tuning out the world around you, reach out to the world around you and invest in them and just know when people don't like it, keep a good attitude. The world is profane, but we can be encouraging. The, the world is oppressive. We can lift people up. The world is depressed and discouraged, but we can have joy and happiness. It comes with being a child of God. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Thank you, Pastor Joel, for that, that great message on the difference. And, and the truth is, throughout this entire series, we're going to be looking at the, the truth from God's Word that tells us, as followers of Jesus, the world should see us differently. There should be something different about us. And when we become more like Jesus, then people are drawn by the Spirit of God to us, and we have opportunities uh, to have gospel conversations. This week, focusing on the Sermon of the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus lays out uh, the Beatitudes, and that has a lot to deal with our attitude and how we look at people and how we view our responsibilities as, as believers. And as I was challenged this morning, I hope that the Spirit was stirred in you and you were challenged to um, check some of your attitudes, see how you are looking at things and how, how your attitude affects how you treat other people. 
But maybe you're watching this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. And uh, the difference for you is beginning that relationship with Him. Understanding that you're a sinner and that your sin separates you from God. Believing that Jesus died on the cross and the finished work of Jesus on the cross pays for all your sins. And then asking Him, confessing Him as Lord and Savior and asking Him to take up residence through His Holy Spirit in your heart and life. And maybe you've never done that this morning and God has spoken to your heart and you need to give your heart and life to Him. Tell God this in this very moment right now. Father, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sin. Right now, I ask you to come into my heart, take away my sin, be my Savior. Lord, I give my life to you. In Jesus' name. And maybe you prayed that prayer this morning for the very first time and you meant it. We want to say welcome to the family. We want to connect with you. We want to help you take next steps in your faith journey with Jesus. And um, we want you to know that you're not alone and um, we, we are here for you. And so if you would, um, you can take out your phone again and if you'll just text your name to the number 423-800-1871 um, that's my cell phone, and that'll come right to me. Just text me your name. I'd love to connect with you this afternoon. It's been awesome to be in God's house, and uh, I've so much enjoyed our time together, and I look forward to seeing you next week. God bless you. Go and make a difference. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening. <music>